Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Brian Lehrer on WNYC. Now we're going to continue the conversation we had Wednesday night, in case you tuned in or in case you missed it, when we introduced the winners of the fourth annual Lehrer Prize for Community Well-Being. We pick three worthy recipients each year who look out for their neighbors in some meaningful way. This year, the theme was Helping the Asylum Seekers, our estimated 175,000 new neighbors arriving courtesy of Texas Governor Greg Abbott since 2022. So whatever you think about U.S. immigration policy, I think we can all understand and agree that these are human beings who undertook a dangerous trip because they thought getting here would be better than staying where they were. We asked you for nominations. Some of you remember we did that on the air um, back in the fall. And we had the hard task of narrowing that list because there were a lot of people who stepped up to help the asylum seekers, um, narrowing that list to three winners, but we managed. And we're joined now by the leaders of the three organizations we cited for doing this hard work. They are Power Malu, founder of Artists, Athletes, Activists, one of the groups that actually meets the migrants when they first arrive in New York City by bus or more recently train um, on their first steps on New York soil, if you can call Port Authority soil. Nula O'Doherty Naranjo, an attorney, community activist, and the founder of the Jackson Heights Immigrant Center, who holds workshops to walk new immigrants, 40 at a time, through the process of applying for asylum and eventually qualifying for work permits. And Jesus Ajuarez, president of Aid for Life and a Venezuelan immigrant himself, remember the largest number of the recent Asylum seekers do come from Venezuela. His group offers weekly jornadas, workday projects, to connect new arrivals with needed services and with each other. So again, congratulations to all three of you. Welcome back to WNYC. Thank you so Thank much, you, Brian. Brian. And I Thank thought you, that the three of you were so great together uh, when... We had that portion of Wednesday night show where you all got to talk to each other, that there was so much more to be said. Uh, and so we invited you back on for the morning show for today. Um, but for those who missed the special, let me go around the room just real quick and have you tell us briefly again about your organization and how you define your core mission. And I know somebody's ringing the doorbell for one of you there. You can go get it if you have to. Um, with respect to helping the asylum seekers. Jesus, can you start, or do you have to answer the door? No, no, I don't have to answer any door. I can start. Um, so I am Jesus Awais. I'm the founder of uh, Aid for Life. It's an organization that we expanded from the mission of our organization, Aid for Aid, is to support asylum seekers in Latin America. That's happened seven years ago when the Venezuelans started literally walking out of Venezuela due to the, the complex humanitarian emergency that was going on in the country. And there's a phenomenon that started happening. We call those immigrants caminantes, the walkers. They were literally walking out of the country and walking the longest distance. The Venezuelans were walking south. That migration started Colombia, Peru, going to Argentina. People were walking 
all South America. And so we got to know them. We served them in South America. And um, when the crisis started in New York in, in 2022, and that was June, July, when Governor Abbott started sending it to uh, New York, we stepped in. Um, we, we knew the people. They were the same Venezuelans, the same workers, workers, same caminantes that walked south. Now they walk north, something that I uh. never, ever imagined that was going to happen. Right. Crossing and a jungle, the Darien Gap, 70 miles, and we started serving them in New York. Paramalu, very briefly, your organization. Yes. So my organization is Artists, Athletes, Activists. Uh, I started my ad advocacy work as a child when I would translate from my mom when she seeked help at Department of Social Services and didn't speak the language. And since a child, I became an advocate. And when the buses started arriving to Port Authority, our organization was there. We were with Ilze Tillman and Adam Abba. We had a bunch of volunteers. And it turned into basically me getting on the bus and welcoming the migrants and just letting them know a little bit breakdown of what to expect. And then that quickly transitioned into case management because we started seeing that there were a lot of politicians that would show up to Port Authority for the photo ops because this was a popular topic. But no one really wanted to get their hands in the game. They wanted to play hot potato and use the migrants as political pawns. So we decided that we were going to stay there. And we've outlasted every city agency. Um, we've been receiving every single bus that has been coming through the Port Authority. And now they're coming in through New Jersey uh, by way of Penn Station to New York City. And we are there to receive them as well. And from there, we exchange information and make sure that we follow up with them and help them along their process. But we advocate for them, and we've been doing this since day one. Our organization is very proud of our volunteers and all the New Yorkers that have stepped up, and we have connected with beautiful organizations that have created covenants and have uh, basically stepped up in the name of representing true Yorkers. True Yorkers. And Nula O'Doherty Naranjo, a true New Yorker yourself, um, give us a little background about the Jackson Heights Immigrant Center. Sure. Um, so after a long time of activism here in Jackson Heights, Queens, back in 2021, when all the immigrants started flooding into our Jackson Heights neighborhood, I said we had to do something. So over a year ago, uh, I started the Jackson Heights Immigrant Center here in Jackson Heights, Queens. And what we do is three days a week, we hold uh, a clinic for newly arrived immigrants and for about two hours, 90 minutes as a class, we explain the immigration process to them. Then with a team of volunteers, most of them newly arrived neighbors themselves, we go through and help them file the asylum application that same day. Um, we've helped over 2,000 families apply for asylum. We try to go through 20 to 30 applications each day, starting at 10 a.m. and going up till midnight. Um, and what's wonderful about it is it's mainly newly arrived immigrants helping newly arrived immigrants. So immigrants helping their newest neighbors uh, go through this process because who's better to help someone than someone who's been through it themselves, uh, who understands the frustrations and joys and hopes of coming to a new country. So we really just help them through the process. I, I, since you're all having so much contact with individual asylum seekers, and I think the media generally treats them so much as a group, as a large mass. I, I wonder if you could each talk about 
your impression uh, from having met so many now. Neil, I'll, I'll stay with you and, and go the other direction this time around the horn. Are these the most ambitious people from their countries who are willing to take this new life on and the risks that come with it? We often hear that immigrants in general are the risk takers from their countries. Or are they the most desperate to escape the worst conditions or some combination? It's a bit of a combination, but I think the true word here is hope. They have this wonderful, positive energy and this hope for the future, and that with a bit more effort, they're going to get there. So they're going to be able to overcome whatever happened to them in their country by this new journey to America. And they've got this huge amount of hope, which is just kind of unending. And it's wonderful to, to work with that positive energy. How about for you, Paul, uh, um, um, Power? Are these the yeah. most ambitious people from their countries or the most desperate or something in between? It's definitely a combination in between. We have a resource center one block from Port Authority. We used to do triage inside Port Authority. So we would listen to their stories and listen to their needs and work on basically helping to stabilize their immediate needs. And this resource center that we have is called ROC. It's resources, opportunities, community connections in partnership with RMM at the Metro Baptist Church. And there we hear an array of stories. Um, yes, they are desperate. Yes, they are desperate because they have escaped the situation back home and throughout their journey, there has been horrific things that they've witnessed that some of them have experienced. And we are just basically trying to help them along this journey so that they can become self-sufficient. And some of the stories are really sad when you hear them, but they do have that hope. Um, they do have that drive and that will to be able to contribute to society. None of them want to stay in this shelter system. So I think that it's important for New Yorkers to know that these are people that are ready to work. These are people that are ready to contribute to our society. And it's no different than the thousands and thousands of other migrants that have arrived and, and the immigrants that have helped to build this city. They come here ready and prepared to contribute to the fabric of our society. And so regardless of what they've been through, I think that we should applaud and thank them for shining a light on a system here in New York City that has been in shambles since before they got here, but yet they're being blamed for it. And I think that it's an opportunity for us to do right by them and to also be able to change the narrative and welcome them with dignity. And that's exactly what we do um, when we uh, welcome them at all ports of entry and then help them along their journey. Yeah. You know, we had um, yeah. an immigration expert on the show recently, um, Power, who was not talking specifically about the migrants to New York, but global migration generally. And he was saying, you know, it's actually generally not the poorest people who leave a particular country. Um, you know, we think of the Statue of Liberty inscription, give me your tired, your poor. Uh, and yet you have to have some money to take the yeah. journey. You were talking to me Wednesday night power about people mm -hmm. from Mauritania who are Absolutely. starting to come now in West Africa, uh, yes. escaping literal slavery over there and, and, yes. and some other hardships. Well, they have to get... Absolutely. They have to buy an airplane ticket to fly exactly. to Central America and then come here. So I'm curious so, how you see that. So what happens is the desperation also sets in because they actually have to borrow money. Many of them have to borrow money to escape the situation that they're in. 
which is more of a reason why when they come here, they're ready to work to be able to pay back that debt. A lot of them are escaping persecution. Um, my partner and colleague, Adam Abba, has hundreds of migrants that go to visit her at her office. She was the first person that rang the alarm when the Africans were arriving to New York City. And she does great work along with other organizations, even a Detroit-based organization, where they actually have to pay their bond to get out of uh, detention because the Africans are given a bond unlike other uh, migrants when they uh, are detained. And so there are a lot of different um, things that go on that we're not uh, aware of as just New Yorkers going on our daily lives. But these people struggle a lot, they suffer, and they are coming over here with a debt already and they have to pay that back. So that even gives them more fuel to get out there and get their own. And then they just don't want to be um, a burden, um, as many people have called them a burden, and they're actually a blessing. So they come here prepared to work and prepared to contribute, and they are grateful for everything that they are getting and for everything, the opportunity that they have, and they all deserve that chance. But yes, they are escaping slavery. Yes, they are escaping persecution. They are escaping horrific conditions, and they take that journey. Imagine taking that journey all the way from Africa or from Afghanistan. We have immigrants coming from all over the world, and they're just ready to contribute and ready to be part of our society. And Jesus, for you yeah. as someone who came from Venezuela yeah. and seeing so many Venezuelans come now, do you, do you think um, the folks who are coming from Venezuela are different, let's say politically, from the people who are coming from elsewhere? I think some of the earlier waves of Venezuelans to this country, and correct me if I'm wrong, have been relatively politically conservative uh, fleeing people like uh, Hugo Chavez, uh, you know, coming from what one might call a left-wing dictatorship, just like a lot of people who came from the former Soviet Union and the Soviet bloc at that time uh, tended to be a little more skeptical of liberal Democrats because, you know, they saw um, the risk of that falling into the dangerous kind of socialism that that they were oppressed by over there. And I'm curious if, if today's Venezuelan uh, large number of people coming to New York are different politically than, than the people coming from Guatemala or Honduras, let's say. Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, Venezuelans, um, there's around 8 million Venezuelans around the world since 2015. And the wave of Venezuelans coming uh, to, to New York, I described them as re the most resilient, and I describe them describe them as survivals. And they, they have very little political view. These people have been struggling for the past 20 years. All they want is to survive. They want to have a better life. And they, they are the result of a broken system. They are the result of a horrible situation, including xenophobia in other Latin American countries. And what they hear is to, to have a new life. And as has been described, before, all they want to do is um, is to work, is to um, be able to provide for themselves. We had a support over 25,000 asylum seekers in this past year and a half, where we provide them, go through an intake process, we do referrals, we have applied, sent about, you know, a thousand asylum applications. And we follow up on the people. And with the Venezuelan in particular, what we have now is those that came by plane and those that came by 
walking, those mm-hmm. that walk to the United States, and the one that walked to the United States surpassed the number of those that came by plane, and which is a is a struggle because of the political point of view with the U.S. politics, and that seems like a second class uh, citizens. Um, we are committed again to treat them with dignity, to recognize them, but. All of South Americans, for instance, we have a people as who actually, yes, they also get into debt. They get money to pay the journey because even to cross the 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 Darien Gap, which is 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 led by organized crime, they have to pay. And we have supported people that they got money from the Colombian guerrillas. And if they don't pay the thousand dollars, they threat their whatever family member they still have behind. So these people do have to pay, but as resilience, they do whatever it takes, and they put their families in the line just to make that yeah. journey, and then they have the, that burden that they have to pay that debt. And what we have found is through this is they, they, they have normalized persecution. That, that ability of survival, that, that struggle, that persecution, they normalize it because all they want is to provide for their families. Few more minutes with the three winners of this year's Lehrer Prize for Community Well-Being. Our category this year was Helping the Asylum Seekers, and we're here with Power Malu, founder of Artists, Athletes, Activists, Nula odaherty Naranjo, an attorney, community activist, and founder of the Jackson Heights Immigration Center or Immigrant Center, and Jesus Ahuayas, who was just speaking, president of Aid for Life and a Venezuelan immigrant himself. Actually, I want to stay with you, Jesus, for one more call, and we were talking about the politics. Um, one might think that Republicans would welcome a lot of Venezuelan migrants, like they once welcomed a lot of Cuban migrants who turned out in large numbers to be Republicans after they escaped uh, Castro. Um, And yet we see the Republicans saying, shut the border, shut the border, shut the border. Does it make sense to you? Uh, No, it makes no sense. Uh, and, And in fact, that's when you see the difference that those that arrive by plane and those that actually walk to the south border of the United States and somehow these ones are criminals and the previous ones are not. And so, but that's part of the political narrative that unfortunately is what's around. And we, we have data of the people, like, like 40% of the people that come to New York has a college degree, 60% of them finish high school, and 80% of them has some kind of a form of, a, you know, plumbers, the constru- professional construction workers. If we, and this is, True with other nationalities, but let's go to Venezuelans alone. If we give them work permits now, these people will contribute immediately to uh, the economy and they will get into the economic ecosystem of, of not only the city, but the United States. Unfortunately, there's no vision. There's, I don't know what it is. It's, it's horrible what's going on. And we need to highlight that these people that are coming, they are people ready to contribute, and that's all they want to do, and we're here to help them make sure that that happens. I, I want to get um, at least a couple of you to comment on the migrant story that's been the most in the news in New York this week, and that is the attack on the police officers outside the shelter in Times Square, 
which has even become national news. And so I was curious to get your reactions. I'm sure you won't defend that kind of violence, but I wonder if you can add context, and Nula, if you might want to start, if you've been thinking about this at all, to offer an explanation, if there is an explanation, beyond what right-wing media might give. Sure. Um, No one can condone the activity. Nula's turn. Let her go. Go ahead. Sure. Okay. No one can condone the activity, but I think what you see is a frustration. Um, You see uh, families come here after this two, three, four-month journey here. They finally get set up. And one of the things a lot of them invest in are um, not motorcycles, but like mopeds to make deliveries. And you see then the NYPD go outside of shelters and confiscate hundreds of mopeds at a time, taking away all their earnings and their hope for future earnings. Um, You see immigrants are told, go to this place and apply for this and go here and apply for that, but they don't have money for a MetroCard. And then they get ticketed for jumping a turnstile. So it's kind of a system set up against you. And what I think you see there is some frustration. And I think whenever we deal with our newest neighbors, we have to understand that they're in a system they don't understand and that they might not understand who that person was who they were attacking and that they don't understand that the systems here are different. And we need to be a little patient and explain what the system is here and to make sure that they understand it. They want nothing more than to assimilate and participate and grow and thrive here in the United States. Power, does your group counsel people at all to, you know, hey, don't do things like this. You're going to give everybody else a bad name, uh, even Uh, though there's no (laughs) evidence that migrants commit crime any more uh, percentage-wise than people who are already here, but this is what makes the news. Yeah, well, we do know your rights training uh, courses with them. Um, We have conversations with them about what to do when they are approached with police officers. Um, So, yes, I think that what is happening here is a plain example of what happens when you have language barrier and you don't have language access and you're not able to properly communicate. Uh, Because if you really if you want to just isolate this incident and just talk about this incident, um, the police officers didn't speak Spanish and they were yelling out commands and they were ordering them to move, which they exactly did that. They started moving. Um, We noticed this in a lot of the shelters where they have security outside that don't speak the language of the immigrants that are coming in. And so there's a lot of yelling and a lot of aggression um, because maybe frustration that they don't understand what I'm telling them, so I have to speak louder and I have to yell. And that basically tenses the situation. And instead of lowering the vibration and really having a proper way to communicate, things can get out of hand really quickly because of the lack of communication. And Jesus, I I know you were trying to get in on this. None of this means you start beating on somebody who's wearing a police officer's uniform, right? Look, I I really, I I do condemn what happened. And I I have a a perspective from my experience in Latin America. What I see here is a place that actually becomes a little, you know, ghetto. It's all Venezuelans or all these Latin Americans living together like they live in South America. They have in a behavior that, that they would have in, in, in South America where there's no repercussion. And, and I think it, 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 it gives us, as organizations, more responsibility to reach out to the community and tell them, you know, what consequences are. Uh, uh, what concerns me is, is what happened after when they leave and 
their behaviors, just as what they, they, they would do in South America, they become, you know, they challenge the system. And that alone is a bad recipe because, again, they believe that all asylum seekers are like that. This is a complex situation. I believe they acted at they, what, what they used to, what they, they would have done someplace else. It happens in New York City. I think this is something that we can all learn and make sure that never have education, outreach to the community to avoid these situations. Jesus Afias, president of Aid for Life, Nula Odaherty Naranjo, the founder of the Jackson Heights Immigrant Center, and Power Malu, founder of Artists, Athletes, Activists, the three winners of this year's Lehrer Prize for Community Well-Being. We made our category this year helping the asylum seekers because no matter what anybody thinks of the politics of immigration, here are all these thousands of people who are human beings, and it's so great that people in the private sector are step, stepping up to help them start their lives in New York as individuals and as families. Thank you all one more time for your work. It is our honor to honor you, and thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you, Brian, thank and you thank so you much. all in New Yorkers right. for stepping up.